everyone. This is Mark Vina with more insights and strategy. Today is Monday, June 17th, 2019. Um, it's 24 hours after Father's Day. I hope everyone in the audience had a great uh, Father's Day. Um, and in fact, I have a great uh, father um, with me on today's podcast. I've got a person you've heard before, uh, Robert uh, Pegagaro. Um, I, I just said Robert, and I'm Robert. I know you don't go by Robert. You go by Rob. My mom calls me Robert if I've done something bad. Hi, everybody. Rob Baker from here. <laughs> and you actually have done something bad. We've been tracking you for the last few weeks, and we'll talk about that in a different podcast, uh, Rob, uh, because we want to make sure that you can account for all your terrible things you've done over the last few weeks while you've been traveling. <laughs> uh, so you've been up to, actually up to a lot of different things. I mean, uh, over, I know you've been traveling quite a bit. Um, I've been all over the place myself, and uh, but I'd like wanted to get with you and talk about some of the bigger things that have happened over the last uh, three or four weeks. Um, and let's start right now because it really ties into a lot of the other stuff um, that we're going to talk about. Let's talk about first and foremost about AK because you know you're the AK guy. You know you and I are uh, go uh, constantly back and forth about um, you trying to validate what the big AK TV manufacturers are funneling to you in terms of how the market's exploding when you sometimes come across data that says, well, maybe that's not really happening. But uh, yeah, exactly. Maybe it's a firecracker, you know, not really a, um, a nuclear um, uh, device. But anyway, so let's talk about what you've been doing in relation to AK. Yeah, so I was in New York last week, uh, a couple of events. One was the CE Week conference, an event put on by the people who run the uh, IFA trade show in Berlin every September. Uh, they had an interesting panel of TV industry executives uh, Thursday morning talking about how they plan to sell AK to people. Coincidentally, uh, Inside Media hosted an AK Display Summit Tuesday, which caused me to head up to New York a day early for a, a day of uh, talks and presentations about the the prospects for 8K, what it means for production, what it's going to mean for distribution. And uh, these things answered some questions I had and left others unanswered. Well, f first and foremost, last time you and I kind of um, uh, talked, I mean, uh, we, we, we both, I think, agree that the 8K revolution, so to, so to speak, hasn't really taken off in the way that I think the TV manufacturers have kind of envisioned. But And that was a few months ago, but you haven't seen any of that change. Any, has there, is there any evidence that you've seen so far that kind of supports the view that, uh, you know, the AK sales data, is t things are taking off faster than they, um, than they really are happening uh, at the moment? I've seen nothing along those lines. I mean, the, the, the same basic people like to talk about it's so much more resolution. Eight is, is twice four. You've got 33 million pixels versus 8 million for mere 4K. But mm -hmm. the math I can't get around is four to one, as in if you look at Samsung's site or look at what Best Buy has for sale, you're going to spend about four times the cost of a 4K set to get an 8K set. And that's in 65 inches, which most people seem to say is the smallest viable size for an 8k set where you might notice the extra pixels mm -hmm. so you know i admit i'm not a real video file but how many and you can sell a lot of expensive stuff to a certain sector of the population but the idea that 8k is going to become a mass market product and the new default seems to me to be really unfounded and not something that the market's going to go for right 
Well, and I, you know, you and I have talked about this many, many times before, is that to me, the thing that, where I struggle with is that, you know, first of all, there is a segment of the population, by the way, like, like you said, that wants to future-proof their major electronic purchases. They don't mind spending more money to make sure that they've got the latest and greatest and they're prepared for the, um, yeah. you know, they're in a position where they um, feel that they have a product that will last a lot longer. And TVs have always been like that. Most people who buy... Um, you know, large format TVs are, they see them as investments, which they are, and they're going to, you know, be with them for six, seven, eight, nine, ten, even 10 years at a time. The problem with the AK uh, situation is that, you know, first of all, there's a content issue. You know, you and I have talked about this before. Yeah. There's just not a lot of AK content, number one. Number two is, is that to really see the AK difference, so to speak, um, you really have to have a 75-inch or a larger TV. And 75-inch, um, and I have one in my home myself, it's like having a small theater in your house. And not many homes are configured, not many living rooms are configured to have a, a, something that large. Well, I sure is not. <laughs> yeah, you know, so that's, that's another strike um, against it. Um, and uh, I guess the uh, other uh, other big issue is that there's still a very major um, price premium for it. I mean, the prices for 4K, for really good... 4K TVs, whether they're from TCL, TCL has been kind of a, one of my favorites because they just do a, such a great job of providing value, you know, for the price point. And they've got Roku integration, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, but, you know, it, I just think that until they overcome those three things, you know, it's going to be a tough haul. Now, the interesting thing is, well, and we're going to kind of get into this, is that yet despite all of that, you know, there are some interesting things happening <laughs> Excuse me. From a gaming standpoint, that are trying to help, you know, push AK along, and you know, we saw at uh, at, at least I was at um, E3 all of last week, and my hearing has um, has now recovered fully uh, from attending uh, there last week. But the big issue was that you know Microsoft announced their new um, iteration of Xbox Project Scarlet, which does have AK support, 120 frames per second for games. Yep. Sony is doing the same thing with their PlayStation 5. They haven't called it PlayStation 5 yet, but their next iteration of, of uh, gaming console, which, by the way, uses the same AMD uh, processor architecture. AMD's had a very, very good month with some very, very major big wins in, uh, in the console space. But certainly they're preparing, and I'd like to get your thoughts on this, that you know, from a gaming content standpoint, they want to be there with AK content, which I think is interesting. So they're at least the gaming entities are really preparing for an AK universe over the next few years. Correct. Yeah, that was something that the executives at this panel Thursday morning at CE Week did mention, and and that strikes me. Yeah, that is a valid use case because here, if you've got the console plugged into the TV, you don't need to have an enormous amount of bandwidth and an ISP that won't hit you with the data cap. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the the one terabyte limit. Comcast calls it a tier. Uh, the, the, the Comcast has, you're not really going to run into that with streaming HD. 4K, you definitely could. 8K, for sure you will. Or for that matter, Google's Project Stadia. People pointed out that that's going to use up a lot of bandwidth as well. But if you've got the console right in there, you're playing games on, do they say what kind of storage medium these two things are going to use? Uh, that way, the bandwidth issues go away, and, and certainly... Gamers will spend lots of money on the best experience, so that right. seems a little more viable than expecting that uh, Netflix and Amazon are going to jump on 8K the way they have 4K. Yep. Well, and I have to believe, you know, just looking forward, that this whole notion of, of data caps, which have always existed, um, 
with both at the cellular level and, and also at the um, at the uh, the cable um, level with your uh, cable plans. I have to believe that when, when we when we kind of roll into an AK universe, it has to be rethought because, like you said, you know, it, it doesn't take up a lot of AK content to consume that kind of level of data. And it used to be that that kind of data was pretty unimaginable. How could you possibly consume that over the course of a month? You know. Yeah. But I, I but I but I think in an AK world. Um, you know, when it becomes more ubiquitous and, there, you know, everything is out there, a good portion of, of the content out there is AK, those data caps could go away very quickly. So I think it's kind of actually kind of savvy, you know, in terms of, um, you know, looking at AK as kind of an entertainment gaming platform because you do kind of circumvent that data cap uh, issue because of the, the games are played locally and... Um, and uh, I think that the uh, that type of issue probably won't be as uh, problematic as it will be for you know traditional video content. You yeah, exactly. You know, and, you know the, the, some of the other things people suggested. Like there was a guy with I think Sharp who said, you know, we think user generated content. Which, if you look at viewing still photos, you know, there, yeah, you, you're not going to buy a consumer camera that shoots over 33 megapixels. So in that case, if, if you wanted to show your vacation pictures, the 8K TV, you know, we'll, we'll let people stand up close to it, see those finer details that a 4K set wouldn't show. Right. But again, that's, you know, I, I think we may be showing your age talking about people using dedicated cameras instead of <laughs> take a on your phone, put it on Instagram, and, and that's not a gather around the big screen on the living room experience. Right. That's exactly right. But, you know, it's, it's interesting how this 8K topic that you know you've been so focused on is kind of permeating a lot of different things even at wwdc last week and i want to talk about that a bit is yes. that you know ak was at or at least high resolution um uh content creation was a big deal you know microsoft um, um apple finally announced their their um, new next generation uh, mac pro uh hardware setup which is not for the faint-hearted it's a you know six seven eight thousand dollar <laughs> <No>. system <laughs> You know, and when I really, my favorite part of the WWDC event is when they announce this terrific professional display, uh, for, and it really are for content creators. It's not for Rob or me or for the average um, you know, main, uh, ma mainstream person just editing video. This is like for studio-level people, um, and it's still great value in comparison to some of the professional hardware that's out there right now. But this, just to stand, just to stand for that new um, professional display that Apple announced was $1,000. I, I just think that's fantastic. I just think that if, they can, if Apple can get away with charging $1,000 for a stand, they are the greatest marketing company of all time. And we know they are. So, um, But anyway, what are your thoughts on that? Because I, I, you know, when you look at that hardware that was announced, and it's really high-end hardware, you know, Xeon processors, um, proprietary um, SSD drives that really uh, do, uh, that are, are ultra-high performance for, Really incredible um, video editing and production capability. What were your thoughts on, you know, at least from a hardware announcement perspective, on the Apple announcement at WWDC, Rob? Yeah, so they definitely needed to finally come back and have a professional-grade computer because they, they let that category go dormant for yes. an inexcusably long time. I mean, that's just basically telling a lot of the user base, you're going to have to buy a Windows machine if you don't want to buy the uh, the shiny trash can Mac Pro that was <laughs> introduced in like 2013. And then, right. you know, if it's taking... <laughs> <laughs> if you can get a new jetliner off the ground less time than it took Apple to update the Mac Pro, something's wrong. 
So that's good. Uh, you know, from a presentation standpoint, it took me a couple of days to watch the whole keynote because it ran for two hours, which is problem number one. Like you got to edit stuff out. And finally watching this, like, really? They're still talking about the monitor? This is something we can save later on. Um, so, yeah, and the $1,000 stand, you know, see, I have, to, I have to confess to our listeners here, that's one reason why I can't buy an AK set. i got to save up for the, <laughs> the Mac Pro monitor stand first, and that's going to get to the AK budget. Sorry, you'll, you'll be you'll be you'll you'll be saving a long period of time. It's unlike putting a kid through college, at least one year of college, a half a year of college. <laughs> but you, you know what's interesting about this is that and I had this conversation in a podcast a few weeks ago with my um, my colleague Anshel Sag, who you know looks at the uh, he covered the PC category. Is that personally what I was waiting for, and I didn't did not get it. And it's interesting that Apple pretty much you know they address the you know their their um, you know, view of the market from a PC platform is is that they've got the iMac uh, 27 and 21 inch models, all yep. Intel based uh, processors, with very fairly decent graphics level, but not the kind of high performance graphics you can get with a Windows um, uh, system. You know that that kind of space, which you know, it's, let's call it you know five thousand dollars or less. You know, 5K display. Uh, type of technology they've got that covered they've got the mac mini category which they just recently refreshed and and by the way none of these platforms with the exception of memory can you upgrade them so once you buy the uh the system and you rob you and i've talked about this apple tends to be very proprietary right the apple tax and then you kind of head to these new mac pros which jump up i mean the the, no one's going to buy the base configuration i mean i thought what i thought was humorous is the announced i think it's a six thousand dollar model has a 256 gig um, SSD. Who the hell buys you know that kind of size drive and that kind of especially with some video uh, applications? Nobody kind of buys that. So by definition, you're going to be upgrading. Where they kind of left the market open was kind of a kind of a uh, someone who wants to buy you know just a standard call it a mini tower class form factor and, and or a tower class form factor. And of course the um, the Mac Pros are that that they call now the cheese grater. Um, a look from a form factor standpoint. They still don't really have kind of a, um, a middle to high end platform for the guys like myself, you know, who want to upgrade the graphics but don't necessarily want to jump up to a, a $10,000, $15,000 system. It's kind of an interesting uh, discussion about market segmentation that it just doesn't seem, I don't know whether they don't, they don't believe that market is big enough to warrant all their resources. You know to do it, but like you said, it took them forever, seemingly, to get to this announcement. And that's not to say that these are not going to be incredibly powerful uh, systems, but it's not a very large audience. I mean, from a unit standpoint, no. I mean, you know. So I don't know whether they did it. And I'd like to get your thoughts on this. Whether they, they obviously they want to maintain their technology reputation by announcing this big big iron gear you know because it does help them from a, you know to maintain that brand image it's a, hey you know we can come out with great performing hardware as well but i don't know you know do you understand where i'm coming from rob i just don't I, yeah it, it seems that they've left parts of the market in the, at least in the in the desktop market they've left part of the markets open you know that uh, they could potentially be larger but for whatever reason they feel they have it covered with mac mini and the uh the imac family well, I mean, I'll, I'll bring up my complaint with the Mac Mini. Another area where Apple had just ignored the entire product category, had been selling the same old hardware without any kind of cut in price. So the new Mac Mini is nice, but it ships with a 128 gig SSD. 
Where's Apple buying them? Did they get a deal on a warehouse full of them? Because you really can't <laughs> buy one. If you no, go you to can. Amazon, they, they're not for sale in a size that small. Mm-hmm. And they want to go to 512 gigs, $400. That is insulting. I mean, come mm-hmm. on. I will pay a premium for Apple's design, refinement, and everything, but that's ridiculous. Now, my, my favorite story just happened to me about three or four weeks ago. Actually, it's when I got back from... Um, I had just gotten back from um, the EFA event that you and I attended back in April. Is that my, yeah, yes. My, my mother's um, uh, trusty iMac uh, that was like six or seven years old finally conked out, and we brought it to the Apple store, and naturally it was out of warranty because it's a five- or six-year-old system, and they wanted, a, I don't know, five, six, seven hundred dollars to, to fix it. I said, well, for that kind of money, let's just go out and buy a new um, Mac Mini, and we'll get, we'll get something more current. Uh, so I went out and bought the, the, the Mac Mini. She already had a display um, from a, another system that could just use fine because she, she just, just does um, email, brow, uh, email and, yeah. and, and web browsing. You know, she, not, she just, she's, she's not an app uh, powerhouse type of person. And uh, what I decided to do is to upgrade the memory on the new Mac Mini. And the funny part about the story is, is that you can upgrade the memory Apple obviously doesn't encourage this because it's not a, it's not a very easy thing to do, and there are no. several YouTube there's several YouTube videos to do it, and I upgraded the memory from whatever I think I think the standard model came with eight uh, eight gig, you know uh, Apple wanted something crazy like eight hundred dollars to bring it up to thirty two gig or sixty four gig whatever I upgraded it to, and um, I, literally taking the Mac Mini apart, it's like diffusing a bomb. You know, I, I you know I had a I, I had a laptop playing the YouTube video so I could go you know there's some really excellent step by step videos. I had to go out and buy the proper Torx screwdriver kit, um, but literally and of course they use like four or five different sets of you know of, of miniature screws, and literally yeah. at, at one point during this kind of operation, my and it took me about forty five minutes to do it. My mom walked across the dinner table and said, um, "Mark, it looks like you're taking apart a bomb." You know, because there were screws everywhere, you know. So, I, again, I mean, I don't know if I would tell people, hey, go off and do it, because it, it does, you know, it, it could easily go wrong, and I've, I have a bit of a technical background like you do, Rob, and, you know, as long as it's, it's a fairly str- – as long as there's no soldering gun involved, I'm generally game for anything, yeah. you know. Um, but I always love the people who like to upgrade their iMac, you know, which has the display integrated into it. And um, I love people who are able to lift the display because there are tools you can buy to, to take the tool out you of the housing. Like soften the glue. Holding yes. Like I've got a, a very oh, yeah. old iMac, which I did replace the hard drive with an SSD. But on this particular generation, you can just use a pair of suction cups to remove the outer glass. Right. And then it's just tinkering with some tiny ribbon cables and and saying many prayers as you remove them <laughs> and plug them back in. But there was no right. glue involved, which really put me at ease somewhat. No, it, it, it's scary stuff. And, um, you know, you and I, can we've had countless conversations of why Apple does that. And, and I, I'm, I'm convinced, you know, that they do it purely because they can. You know, they can get the extra margin. They can get the extra revenue. You know, um, they make it so difficult for the average user to do that it's just not worth the effort. You know, so um, yeah. but anyway, what else? Uh, what other things? You know, WWDC was 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 about more than just the new hardware announcements. Was there anything interesting that came out of it that you thought that uh, you'd like to talk about? Well, definitely Apple's focus on privacy. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, is implemented in iOS where they're further tightening that. Uh, one of the better announcements, they totally buried it. 
Uh, mm-hmm. Apple is finally going to support USB security keys in Safari. Yes. They were a complete holdout in that area. These are the ones you, you associate this little Yubico is one popular brand. You associate it with your Google account or whatever. And then if you have a suspicious login, you plug it in. You don't need to have your phone receive an SMS code, which can be intercepted if somebody SIM swaps your account. You don't need to run a Google's Authenticator app, which you have to redo every time you move phones. Get this $10 key, plug it in, it confirms your login, and because the key does the talking to the site, it can't be fooled by a phishing site. Great mm-hmm. feature, and Apple was the last major browser vendor to support it, which meant that, for instance, one password, very good password manager, they didn't support USB security keys because they, they couldn't promise it would work in Safari. Now that the upcoming version that'll ship with macOS Catalina, and I guess they'll ship it for the current uh, macOS Mojave, will support it, like, thank you, Apple. Like, this should have happened two years ago, but I'm very happy <laughs> bored with this. And this was reserved for a uh, discussion. I saw this in a, you know, a later WWDC session about uh, Apple security technologies. Hate still Apple to do their job, but I would have put that in the keynote and saved that $1,000 stand. <laughs> you know, bury that <laughs> in some later WWDC I mean, dub dub session. Yep. Well, you, you know, you know, it's it's funny because every you know Apple with great um, attention to detail, every topic that's discussed at an Apple keynote goes through some level of scrutiny. You know, because the, literally, the, I mean, there are inside the Catalina iOS thirteen announcements that they made. I mean, there are literally hundreds and hundreds of new features, and it's always interesting to me. You know, what features get the that really public shout out? at those events and uh you know and i agree with you that i think um apple did i think they're actually doing a, a, a pretty good job frankly of of really you know raising the bar so to speak on, on security the privacy stuff i think uh, is absolutely welcome and amazing i think you know i wrote about this in forbes um a few weeks ago i, th- I think there, there's no question in my mind that part of it is sure they care about security for people. And I do believe that yep. Tim Cook and the team is sincere in that regard. But I think they've thrown the gauntlet down to Google. I think they're saying in effect is that you know what, you know we can do things um, with um, our at our operating system level that really does a lot of profound and robust uh, stuff from a privacy protection standpoint that Google. You may not be able to do it. Well, you can do it from a technical standpoint, but because all of your revenue comes from advertising and from digital ads and things like that, you know that your ability to do it as comprehensively as we can do it on the Apple side compromises your business. Because at the end of the day, you know we talk about privacy. The more restrictions you put on uh, meta tag data and you know data that allows people to track you if you're an advertiser standpoint the less right. uh, financially appealing that data is you know and I don't I, and the, I don't know if the average you know the average person really gets that you know is that you know when when it's a wild wild west and we can trap and we can trap you Rob, Rob wherever you're going across the country that you know um, a value of dollars is that from an advertising premium standpoint as, as, as is at its highest when that number so actually when- there, there's two interesting things that came out uh, the week before this one was uh, Mozilla announced that Firefox will basically have the same tracking protection built in by default as Safari right so it's it's there was a version of that in earlier versions of Firefox but it was badly done that it wasn't on by default they said only three percent of people change that, you know, opted into the setting. And it also, it looked to a lot of sites like you were running an ad blocker 
which mm-hmm. some sites will just shut you out. And like as someone who makes money by selling stories to ad supported sites, I wasn't really happy about that. This one just blocks the tracking. Mm-hmm. And uh, the Wall Street Journal highlighted a study by a bunch of researchers. They they looked. They got an unnamed site company that runs a lot of content sites to compare what they got in terms of revenue from th- ads served up with a third-party tracking cookie, where you were able to set that on the, the user's computer, so tracking was allowed, and those without that cookie set, or presumably somebody who was using Safari which has had tracking protection for two years now. And it was only a 4% revenue difference. Mm, like there mm. may be, from this study, which maybe it's different for smaller sites, maybe this, this unnamed company is an outlier, there may be more money to be made with this tracking, but it's not going to the publishers. Mm-hmm. And so that makes me think, and I, I guess just last night, Google's CEO, Sundar Pichai, told uh, you know, Freed of Axios in their, their HBO special that you know most of our, we don't actually need that much user data to do our ads business well then let's see Chrome offer the same kind of tracking protection which they said they may or may not do at Google Ad they were very very vague about that yeah I'd I'd have to dive deep into that data because essentially what you're saying is that um, that hey you know if what you're if that data is accurate what that would simply say is that hey listen tracking you know, good, robust consumer tracking um, doesn't necessarily have to have a really bad effect on advertising revenue. You know, that's what it really yeah. uh, kind of says. So why not do? Why not offer it? You know, I'd have to I'd have to dive into it a bit deeper. It's like everything else. You know, the proof is in the pudding, and the attention, the devil's in the details. You know, in terms of you know the way that that study was conducted, and and without getting going down that road, but um, but putting that all aside. You know, I really do believe that, um, you know, Apple has probably got a leg up right now in the security and privacy uh, standpoint. I mean, I'm sure that Google's going to come back and they'll, and that's what, what's great about competition, of course, at the end of the day, is that it encourages everybody to, um, you know, work a bit harder to achieve a certain objective. But uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens. I mean, um, I mean, the, 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 because the other big thing for me, frankly, that came out of the, um, and I'm sure you have an opinion about this, uh, Rob, is the whole iPad. It's <laughs> <laughs> the iPad on, on, um, iPad OS announcement, in that they're taking a you know uh, iPad OS, which is going to be a superset of iOS that will really allow you to, and they've been doing this for a while, by the way, this is not just a light switch. I mean, this is kind of, you now this more a focus on this is to use the iPad as a productivity device with, you know, different windowing capability and the ability to do multiple things at the same time. You know, they've, they, they're added, they, you have now thumb drive support um, in iPadOS for the first. External storage. External storage, that's a, big, that's a biggie. Um, you know, the uh, mouse support, I don't know how how good it's going to be because I've seen different reports that it's ah it's okay but it's not um, it's not kind of like what you see in a notebook for example you have a bit of customization with the size of the mouse and tracking speed and things like that but there's no question that Apple is now starting to position the iPad as really not just as a content um, consumption device which has been for many people but really as a device you know and I've told people this before. You know, does it pass the Mark Vina PowerPoint test? Can I cre- actually create a PowerPoint on on uh, an right. iPad from scratch? And I've always had difficulty with that. You know, just because I'm a pretty much of a I'm a PowerPoint wonk, and uh, you know, and you know, when you use PowerPoint with a with a, a mouse, it's a completely different experience than trying to use it with your finger. So I'm actually looking forward to testing that. You know, when I uh, when um, 
when the new operating systems are rolled out in uh, July for the beta version uh, for the public. But what are your thoughts on that? Because I'm I'm sure you have a view on that. Yeah, so that that's, you know, iPadOS doesn't quite roll off the tongue like iOS, but whatever. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, that's an area Apple already has such a huge lead in tablets. You know, it's there, there's no reason looking at just Android as an OS, setting aside the market where you couldn't build a good tablet with it, but the only mass market Android tablets are the Kindle ones that Amazon sells using its own uh, forked version of Android. So yeah, better multitasking, that's good. You know, desktop great browsing, although, you know, half that sometimes is just sites redirect you to their mobile site, even though you've got a browser that's perfectly capable of showing you something more complex. Correct. So see how that is, but but yeah, that's good. I mean, the, the iPad, you know, you mentioned your mom's computing need. My mom, several years ago, we transitioned her from an, I, an iMac to an iPad, and you know, it's a much simpler thing. The whole updates, system maintenance tasks are basically no, nothing to worry about anymore. Uh, it's certainly cheaper, uh, it's simpler, and uh, from the perspective of the primary source of tech support in the family, I'm very supportive <laughs> of the, the iPad as a primary computer. Well, and you know, the other big deal is that I, you know, I'm, I currently travel when I'm on the road. Uh, with a, um, a, a you know classic 13-inch Windows notebook and HP Spectre, which I really love. Never have really any, haven't had any issues with it. And it's, it's delightful yeah. to use. But I also travel with an iPad because there are times when I just want to be able to read content, and you know, especially when I'm on a plane. You know, having a notebook out there, as you know, especially when you're seeing an economy, is always an adventure. Whether your display is going to get crushed when someone rolls their seat back in front of you. <laughs> so you know, I look forward to, to the day. Now, could I could I actually, when I'm on the road, actually just replace everything and use just travel with an iPad? I, I'm I'm not at that no, at point yet. Um, in fact, it might also make encourage me to step up to a 12 inch iPad Pro. You know, frankly, a larger right. screen. You know, if if that were to happen. So, uh, but it will be very very interesting to see how this kind of um, you know takes place and, um, and evolves over the next um, few months. And I'm sure you'll be you'll be one of those guys like myself. You know, downloading both iPad and iOS 13 as soon as it rolls out so we can kind of, you know, get, get our bearings and see if it really delivers on its promises. Uh, before we deliver, uh, end the podcast, Rob, what are you doing over the next uh, few months? I know I'm going to see you at uh, IFA uh, Berlin yes. in uh, Germany, but what, what's your – I know that you're not traveling over the next two or yeah, three weeks. Yeah, I've got the rare pleasure. It looks like at least the next couple of weeks where I'm not going anywhere so I can tend to my lawn, which, you know, there's some weeding that needs to be done. Uh, trying to get the vegetable garden sorted out, and otherwise, yeah, I'm, um, yeah, following a bunch of different things. I'm working on an update to the wire cutters guide to cell phone plans. So, by the time I'm done with this, uh, you'll be able to ask me anything imaginable about your various options for service: postpaid, prepaid, MBNO, etc. Um, yeah, I'll be following the course of AKTV. Uh, we, we talked about future-proofing. One thing, we may not see anything on this until CES, but buzzword to keep in mind, ATSC 3.0, which is the next generation of broadcast TV reception, which will let you do 4K reception over the air, but it should also improve plain old HD reception. We as cord cutters have been reminded of that this week because we've been watching the Women's World Cup games, which are carried by the local Fox affiliate, which doesn't have the best broadcast signal. And so more reliable reception would be great for cord cutters. It would give people an option to their local cable company. 
so I'm I'm excited about that much more than I'm excited about AK. <laughs> well, you know what? We we absolutely should do a podcast maybe a, a few weeks from now on just that subject of uh, court cutting and uh, that um, the release of that new standard because I really do believe, like you said, that could have a very profound impact on you know adding even more momentum to court cutting. Um, and uh, you know, I don't not not many people are talking about that. But you bring that up as an interesting subject, and we should definitely hit that. Rob, thanks for participating in today's podcast. Really enjoyed it. I'll let you get back to your gardening in the D.C. area. But I do appreciate your time. To the more insights and strategy audience, please follow us and our usual social media suspect partners. That's Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. And until next time, have a great week. Mm-hmm.